Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge, an arbiter, between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place for all my crops to store them. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink, (laughs) be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Our God and our Father, the fountain of all goodness, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your presence this morning. It is time to hear your word. Speak to us so that we can understand through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The topic we are going to consider this morning uh, says giving in grace. Giving in grace. And we are going to be focusing on the parable of the rich fool. I will see that in the gospel according to St. Luke chapter 12. We'll be looking at... uh, from verses 13 to 21, as read. Before we explore the parable of the rich fool, it is expedient that we investigate the context at which that parable was given so that we can have a proper understanding of the sermon. If you look at that chapter, chapter 12, from verse 1, you discover that Jesus has been teaching people by the thousands. And then as he was teaching the multitude, he warned them of Pharisaic hypocrisy. And then he told them not to fear those who can kill the body, but those who can cast the body into hell. Verse 4 and 5. He encouraged them to confess the Son of Man before people 
verse 8 and 9. He told them that they will face opposition and assured them that the Holy Spirit will give them the right words when they are dragged before the authorities. Verse 11 and verse 12. During this beautiful sermon that Jesus was giving, something dramatic happened. Something unusual. Jesus was interrupted by one of the crowd who wanted Jesus to settle a financial dispute between him and his brother. Of course, in ancient times, the firstborn of the family was guaranteed a double portion of the family inheritance. When you look at Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 17, it provides a double portion of the inheritance for the first son. If there are two sons, the eldest receives two third, and the second son one third. If there are three sons, the eldest receives two fourth, and the others receive one fourth. If there are four sons, the eldest receive two fifth, and the others receive one fifth each. More than likely, the brother who was addressing Jesus was not the firstborn <laughs> and was asking for an equal share of the inheritance. You could see greed there. And then when you look at, when you look at it deeply, you will discover that the elder son who was the custodian as at that time of the inheritance, refused to give what was due to his younger brother. So he monopolized the whole inheritance. And that is another greed. We see a situation where two brothers were exhibiting, exhibiting greed. One monopolizing the whole of the inheritance, and the other one demanding more than what was due him. Well, you may have heard the saying that where there is a will, there is a way. But in this context, it is better for us to say where there is a will, there is a quarrel or fight. The younger brother's reason for coming to Jesus was that in the Old Testament, at the time of Jesus, religious leaders were asked to settle such disputes that had to do with inheritance. The younger brother, no doubt, reasoned, well, I can't get my brother to pay me my share. If I bring up this matter in front of the crowd and get the teacher to tell him to pay up, I will get the money out of him. 
even if it means embarrassing him. So the intention of the young man was that if he brings the matter up in the crowd, in the public, his brother will be embarrassed. And out of shame, the brother, the brother will give him his own share. Here he was, standing in the presence of the God of heaven. And his mind was fixed on gold. Right in the middle of his sermon, where Jesus was giving out a, a heavy truth about the kingdom, this man raised his hand and said, Now, Tisha, I don't mind a little heavenly talk, but my brother has my money. It's like this man was saying, I don't care what else you have to say. All I want is my money. Well, this is similar to a lecturer who is teaching the class. Possibly, the lecturer is teaching about economics. And then suddenly, one of the students raises up his hand. Presumably, a boy raises up his hand and said, Sir, can I go to the labor room? What has labor room got to do with economics that the teacher was teaching? They are not connected. All the students might say, Sir, I want to go and have a shower. It doesn't have any connectivity. So that was exactly what happened in this scenario. The young man was preoccupied by his own personal agenda. But you know what? Jesus, who sees the heart, saw greed in the man's heart. Jesus refused to enter into the family squabble and instead used the situation as an opportunity to teach about the seduction of wealth through the parable of the rich fool. He addressed his reply not just to the man, but to the crowd, and probably to the elder brother who refused to give him his own share of the inheritance. He used the opportunity to teach about the danger of greed. Now the question we may ask ourselves at this point is, what is greed? Simply defined, Greed is to want more than you need, to desire more than you need. Greed is not tied to how much you have, how much I have. I could be rich and be greedy. I could be poor and be greedy. I could be middle class and be greedy as well. Because the heart of greed is the desire for more. Well, if I may illustrate this with a very funny story 
On a Sunday morning, a man walks into the church and he looks very sad. He looks very unhappy. And then the vicar sees him and then walks up to him and said, man, why are you unhappy? And then the man said, the man says, well, vicar, two weeks ago, one of my aunties died. He left with me the inheritance of 50,000 pounds. And then last week, one of my uncles died. And he left with me an inheritance of another 50,000 pounds. And the vicar says, well, at the moment, so you, you have 100,000 pounds. So why are you unhappy? The man said, well, I am happy because this week nobody has died. <laughs> the heart of greed. Though the story could be fictitious, but this is an illustration of greed. Whether we like, we admit it or not, if we are not careful, we could fall into the same temptation of greed. We can also come to the sickness of greed. Now, in, in interpreting this parable, it will be critical for us to assess carefully what the farmer's error was. Don't forget, this farmer was not portrayed as wicked. That is, he has not gained his wealth illegally by taking advantage of others. He seemed to be somewhat surprised by his good fortune as he made what appeared to be reasonable plans to reap the abundance of the harvest. What is wrong, we might therefore ask, about building larger bounds to store away some of our today's bounty for potentially kneeling tomorrow? Actually, there's nothing wrong with that. But what could be wrong with the attitude of the man? One, the farmer failed to acknowledge God. He, he failed to acknowledge God's gener generosity, God's generous provision for him. We must understand that it was God who blessed this farmer with his harvest. Yet he had no time to express his appreciation to God. Do we acknowledge God as the one who has given us all our wealth and possessions? Or do we exhibit, do we exhibit a grateful heart to him for what he has done? Or do we always yearn for more? <clears throat> we must understand that whatever we are, and whoever we are, and wherever we are, it is by the mercies of God. When we go to the graveyard, there are people, we find people who are more righteous than we are, who are more prayerful than we are, who are more qualified than we are, who are more knowledgeable than we are. But God gave us the grace to be alive to this moment.
when I was preparing for this sermon, I asked myself, if God were to bill us per second billing for the oxygen we breathe in, how much can, can we pay monthly? If we are to pay rent for the free accommodation of the world that we stay in, how much do we think that we can pay? That is why we must appreciate God in whatever we have and in whatever that we do because it is by the mercies of the Lord. And then secondly, the farmer assumed that he was in charge of his wealth and possessions. He consulted himself instead of God. He thought he knew best what to do with his wealth. In this parable, you could notice the pronoun, my, occurs four times. My fruit, my barn, my goods, my soul. The word I occurs eight times. I will do, I will do, I will do this, I will do this. This man was caught up in himself and relied upon himself. We must understand that self can fail. Our strength can fail. Human wisdom can disappoint. Human strength can fail. And as I was meditating upon this sermon, the Holy Spirit took me to a memory lane, through a memory lane, back to 323 BC when Alexander the Great conquered his own world. After a lot of conquest, he declared, are there no more empires to conquer? But today, that same Alexander the Great is no more. His strength could not keep him alive. Despite the conquest. And then I looked again and I discovered another man called Julius Caesar. In one of his military escapades, when he was coming back, he declared, Veni, vidi, vici. I came, I saw, and I conquered. I, 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 I. But when his own friends conspired against him, the only thing he could, he could say was, Etus brutus. Even you, Brutus, my own friend, his, his eye could not deliver him from the conspiracy. His eye could not save him from dying. And then again, I discovered a man who, who threw the whole world into global confusion from 1939 to 1945, Adolf Hitler, who relied on his strength and his military power, his own wisdom and power, even after exterminating about six million Jews, could not save him. So our self could fail. Our strength could fail. Our wisdom could fail. The only thing that, could, that can't fail is God. He's indomitable. And he is the fountain of all goodness. 
And then thirdly, the farmer thought he had plenty of time left. He claimed to have many goods laid up for many years to come. This man was busy making a living. He forgot his need for life. We must understand that time is running. Whatever good we can do, we have to do it. Whatever work we can do for the Lord, we have to do it. Time. We do not have time. And sometimes when, when I keep looking at the clock, I keep telling myself, as the clock is going around, my days are going. My time is going. So we've got no much time. Whatever we can do, we have to do it. We are passing away like the stars of the morning. We are fading away every day. But this farmer failed to understand that. He thought the future is going to be forever. And then, lastly, the farmer did not share his abundance, but kept it for his own private use. He gave no thought to a bonus for his hired hands or service project for his community and no expression of gratitude for his good fortune, no recognition of God at all. Everything was I and mine. The farmer has fallen free to worshiping the most popular gods, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. He's not foolish because he makes provision for the future. He's foolish because he believes that by his wealth, he can secure his future. In other words, he made a God out of his wealth. There's a, when we make a God out of our wisdom, that is where the problem lies. When we make a God out of our possession, that is where the problem lies. When we make a God out of what we have, and what we have now takes the place of God in our heart, that is where the problem lies. The farmer told himself, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Don't deny yourself anything. Go out, club it, have caviar and champagne, and be sure to party to the wee hours of the morning. In the Bible, we shouldn't forget that to be a farmer was to be socially responsible. Yet, the rich man told a different line. His goal was to ease back and withdraw from life. He would eat, drink, and be merry. He felt no concern or responsibility for anyone else. The essence of greed is keeping, is keeping for ourselves what resources God brings our way. We must understand that God gives us freely. And we, we, we still have to give to others liberally. What we have is a gift. Given to us for the good of the world, the community, 
and the neighborhood, not just for the good of ourselves. Conclusively, I must explicitly establish that this parable is not, is not against a prayerful and careful investment in the future. Don't get it wrong. Financial planning and life insurance are practically synonymous with wise stewardship. Everyone should seek to provide for old age and family survivors. However, the goal should, should not be to provide resources. The goal should be to provide resources to enable your loved ones to be able to serve God better. Be generous to your family, to your friends, and above all, to the destitute. Just remember, we must be rich towards God. Let us pray.